right, welcome to Journey Church. My name is Jim, and I am one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled to see you here this morning. Uh, before we jump into uh, part two of our message, uh, You're Not the Boss Me, I have really just one, one or two quick announcements. First, there's a little guy in the back serving you coffee. His name's Action Jackson. It's his 10th birthday today, so if you see him, wish him a happy birthday on your way out this morning. Um, I told him I'd embarrass him. Um, it's fun when you get the mic and everyone has to listen to you. I, I love that. Uh, <laughs> the next thing is... Uh, um, we're going to start, I'm going to start by just telling you what my shirt says, because every time I wear it, everybody asks me afterwards, what does your shirt mean? And I don't want you to be confused and staring at my shirt the whole time and not listening to what I have to say. So uh, the shirt is representative. It's, it means God is greater than the highs and the lows. So that's what we're going to say up front. And now we are going to dive into part two of our talk, You're Not the Boss of Me. Uh, if you weren't here last week for part one of our talk, I want to encourage you to head out to our YouTube page. Um, it, it's really important. These messages kind of build their sequential. So if you missed a part of it, you should really should uh, head out there and watch it so you can keep up with us. Don't do that now while I'm talking. That would be really rude. Do that when you go home, and then you can kind of put the pieces together. Uh, we are going to start off with part two of this. And, and here's what we're going to do. Have you guys ever read any of, the, of those surveys where they ask a question, and typically they ask a, a question um, that none of, nobody would really want to answer, but I'm going to ask you to answer it this morning. And the question goes something a little like this. What would you do if you knew you could get away with it? Have you ever read those surveys? And then the responses to those surveys? I mean, it's really the answers, they're quite terrifying. We're all concerned about like the millionaire down the road. It's really the person living next to you, that, or maybe it's you, if we're, we're being honest. <clears throat> but here's the thing, as terrifying as those answers are, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to ask the question, what would you do if you knew you could get away with it? I'm kidding. Don't. Don't do that. The truth is, we don't want to know the answer. Uh, the person sitting next to you doesn't want to know the answer. We're all kind of terrified at what the answer might be. Uh, because in these, when these answers kind of come out, these terrifying answers, what we kind of know as we put the pieces together is that there's something on the inside of you, right? Like, we kind of ask, well, where did that come from? Because here's the truth, that when we answer this question, our hearts are exposed, aren't they? That there's something on the inside of us that begins to come out, and we're really not happy with that kind of an answer. We're really not happy, uh, perhaps, with uh, the answer we might get. So don't answer the question. If you're watching online at home, um, hopefully no one was sitting with you and you answered that question before I got that out. Uh, don't answer that question. We don't want you to do that. Um, because the truth is, some of those answers we would be less than happy about. Because sometimes there's stuff in our heart that we're less than happy about. You see, well, what's interesting is we're, we're all adults, and we've all kind of learned to monitor our behavior. Uh, some of you, you're going to sit here through the whole message, and you're going to daydream, and nobody else is going to know about it, because as adults, you've learned to monitor your behavior. You're not going to daydream now that I've mentioned it, because you're going to be thinking, I'm not going to do that today. But we, we've kind of learned to monitor our behavior, haven't we? We've all learned to monitor our behavior. But what's interesting, though, is, is that we're never really taught to monitor our hearts, are we? To, to be honest, no one ever teaches us to monitor our hearts. As a matter of fact, culture kind of teaches us the opposite. It teaches us to follow after our hearts. And if in lieu of that question we just asked, that's quite terrifying for some of us. For some people, that would lead to some horrific results. But, but here's the thing. We're not really asked to, to kind of uh, monitor what's going on on the inside. right? It's all behavior analysis. We say this to our kids. Behave. You know, watch how you behave. Behave better. It's all about monitoring and kind of changing our behavior. But what, what comes out are, are these actions. It starts kind of on the inside. Really, this is how Jesus said it. We talked about this a little last week. He said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of your body? And we're thinking, yeah, we, we get that. As a matter of fact, some of us see that a few times a day. We understand that. He says, okay. And then he, he says, now that I have your attention, let's keep going. Then he says this. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, 
the, the things that we say, the, the answer to that question we just asked, those kind of things, they come from the heart. And it's those things that, that come out that maybe we're not too proud of, that maybe we're not really happy about, that when, when the, the idea that all fear is gone and we don't have to worry about, bed, about being caught, there's no consequences, there's no recourse, those kind of things, that's what defiles a person. Jesus is saying it's, it's, it's interesting because it's what's coming out that defiles, not what comes in. And the things that come out, they come out because they were already there to begin with. And then he gets really specific. He says, for out of the heart, out of this place, come evil thoughts. And then he equates evil thoughts to our actions. It starts with a thought, and then it comes out as an action. He says, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. All of these things are what defile a person. All of these things, they, they, they start on the inside, and they come out on the outside, and these are the things that defile a person. These are the things that, 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 sh- that, that like make people do shameful things, do terrible things, answer the question we asked with some really kind of wacky or scary responses. Because out of the heart, they come. You see, it, it, it's interesting that, that we, we often see people who, who do things that, that we wouldn't expect them to do, don't we? And, and we may even wonder. You see people who, who are just completely like normal, kind of chill, regular people. Maybe if you're in a dating relationship, this is really good advice for you. You're with somebody, and, and they just seem like completely normal, pleasant people. And then they do something out of character, right? right? They do something that's, that's completely out of character for them, and, and they're kind of caught off guard. Maybe the pressure was on them, or, or you know, they, they were, there was this intensity at work, or they got into a fight with somebody or an argument, and, and something happened that came out of character, and they're like, I don't know where that came from. You see, now you know, and you can kind of lean and say, I do. That came from your heart. And if somebody continues to respond in ways, or maybe it's not a dating relationship, maybe you're in a relationship, it's a long-term relationship, maybe it's, it's somebody you work with, and they do something that's out of character, you should pay attention to that, because that comes from the heart. Jesus said it came out because it was already there to begin with. You see, it's kind of like this jar of candy here. This jar of candy, as, as, as you see this, if I shake this, <clears throat> what comes out? what's already inside. I'm not going to shake this and get pennies. I'm going to shake this, and what comes out is going to be candy. You see, it's, it's, it's the same way with us. It's the same way with you. It's the same way with, with me. When we're kind of shaking, when there's this, this, this thing that kind of rattles our cages, when, when the heat's on and the pressure's on and the stress is on, it, it's what comes out, or what's already in there, rather, that comes out of us. It's not something that's, that's kind of out of character. It was in there to begin with. And then the second thing you should know is, anybody want candy? we got some kids back there, but I'm guessing you're all on a candy high from last night. But this is what kind of happens. Life happens, right? right? Stress happens. Things go the way we don't seem or the way we don't want them to go. And then we react, we respond in a way we never thought we'd act. And we say, well, that's totally out of character. And Jesus said, no, that's, that's it, you, because that came out of you. It, it's just the shaking. See, really, we should kind of respond and, and really heed the words of Solomon. Solomon was a great king. He, he lived way before Jesus. He was considered to be the wisest man on the earth aside from Jesus. Solomon said this about your heart. I love this passage. He says, above all else, and he's saying above all else because I've just told you a lot of things. Above all these other things that you could do, above all the things that you want to do, above everything else you could do, guard your heart. Why? He says, because from it, everything you flows comes from it. Everything you do comes from it. Above everything else you could do, guard your heart. Guard what's on the inside because out of it flows everything. 
So we got to guard our heart. It's not so much about behavior modification anymore. It's not so much about just guarding the things we say or the things we do. It's more about guarding what's on the inside because it's from there that everything else flows, that our words flow and our actions flow. It's from there that everything else kind of springs out of it. Parents, we kind of know this, don't we? We, 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 we kind of see this in our children. We, we, we're so concerned about guarding behavior, we forget about what's happening on the inside. We see this in relationships. We're so concerned about how we behave to get that date, that first date, that second date, that third date, maybe to finally marry someone, to get that job, to nail that interview. We're so concerned about modifying the behavior, we forget about what's actually happening on the inside of us. And, and the truth is, and you know, we've seen this now as adults, that what happens on the inside, it doesn't just stay with us, does it? You see this maybe in your parents' relationship that was, was happening in, in your mom's heart or your dad's heart. It kind of spilled out on your mom or your dad or, or perhaps even spilled out on you. You see, <clears throat> when you're, what's in your heart spills out on the people that are closest to you. And that's why this is such a big deal. Because we think we can just keep it to ourselves, but it never stays with just ourselves. What's in us affects those around us. And it affects them in an incredible way. So here's what we have to do. We have to guard our heart. Guard your hearts. Guarding our hearts involves cleaning out all of those toxins, all of those things we don't like, all of those answers to that questions that we wish weren't answers to the question that we wish didn't pop into our mind or pop into our heart. Those toxins, those kind of disgusting, terrifying things that maybe lurk in all of us that we would rather not ever talk about. Guarding your hearts involves cleaning out those toxins. And here's the point of this series. It's keeping them out. It's not just getting them out once. It's making sure they don't come back and don't affect us in the future. They don't affect the people we want to become. So here's where I want to begin. Today, I want to begin with, with one of the key things that I think all of us deal with. All of us maybe have it in us. Maybe you're kind of dealing with, with this, this thing right now, and it affects all of us. It affects adults. It affects children. It affects our past. It affects our future. What we're going to talk about today is this word right here, and it's called guilt. Guilt. We don't like talking about guilt, do we? Guilt is an emotion, isn't it? It's something we feel. Guilt is an emotion that's associated with acknowledging we've done something wrong. It's an emotion that's associated when, when that thing kind of pops back into our head that we've done something wrong, and it creates that feeling in us. That's what guilt is. And, and what's interesting is that there's, there's kind of various forms of guilt, aren't there? There's false guilt, and that's the, the guilt that, you know, you, maybe you haven't done something or, or you did something, but it wasn't as bad as you think it is, but, but you're just that person who feels guilty about everything. That's false guilt. There's really nothing to feel bad about. There's no guilt, but you kind of feel it anyway. That's, that's false guilt, but that's a guilt we're not going to talk about this morning. But there's other guilt, and this is real guilt. This is the guilt that's associated with, with I know that I've done something wrong, and it, it, it affects me, and it kind, of, it, it kind of leans on me, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. It, 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 I, you know, I just, it, it ruins relationships. It separated us. I, I'll never look at him again. I'll never feel the same way. I'll never be able to go there again. There's that kind of guilt. That kind of guilt that's associated with feeling bad, and, and it just kind of, kind of clings on to us, and we feel guilty about it. Then there's another kind of guilt, and this is one we're going to talk about as well. This is the guilt that, that I've done something bad, and I know I've done something bad, and I felt bad about it for a while, but I don't feel bad about it anymore. Because every time I begin to feel a little guilty, you know what I do? I just kind of stuff it. I just stuff it down, and I stuff it down, and, and it'll try to peek its head out again, and, and it, it kind of looms around and pokes up, and every time it pokes up, I just stuff it, and I stuff it, and I stuff it, and then when it creeps up again, I begin to create a narrative. I begin to tell a story. Well, you know, it wasn't my fault. Everybody was doing it. Everybody did it. It wasn't my fault. We just create these narratives, these false narratives, these these excuses that help us to feel better about what we did and why we did it to to kind of excuse the guilt away. 
But, but here's the interesting thing, and this is true of all of us. D- denying it, denying it or excusing it, denying it or being defined by it, it empowers it. And if we're not careful, this guilt that kind of looms around, this guilt that's never confronted, this guilt that's never dealt with, it lingers. And not only has it affected our past, it then begins to affect our future. Because some of us, we've never dealt with it. Some of us, we've never kind of moved on by it. So what have we done? We've begun to define ourselves by it. Well, that's what I am. I did that, and that's who I am. I did that thing, that awful thing, and and that's what I've become. And guilt lingers. And guilt destroys. And guilt creates a gap. I call it this way. It's like a debt-debtor relationship. And you may not agree with this up front, but let me explain this a little bit. Every time you do something wrong, and this is really important for where we're going with our whole series. Every time you do something wrong, you kind of create a debt with someone. Right? I do something wrong, and, and, and I've hurt you. I've, I've kind of taken something from you, and now I owe something back to you. It's, it's, it's this, this debt-debtor thing. I've done something wrong to you, and I, I, I've done something wrong. Maybe I've taken your time, or I, I've taken your relationship, or you know, I, I've taken your husband, and you can never have it back, or I've taken your wife, or I've, I've taken your childhood. And anytime you do something wrong, anytime you, you do something wrong against somebody, you create a debt. You, you, and we even have terminology that kind of backs this up, don't we? We say things like this, I owe her an apology. I owe her something. I, I, I can never give back her time. I can never give back you know, her, her first husband. I can't give back his wife. I can't give back their childhood. I can't give back the career. But I owe her something. I owe her an apology. There's this debt. We say things like, I don't know how I can make it up to them. There's something I've got to make up. There's this debt-debtor relationship. But what's really interesting is but when you're experiencing this, this guilt, you don't experience debt, do you? Right? We, don't, we don't think of it in terms of debt. Do you know how we experience it? We experience it like this, don't we? It just feels heavy. There's this weight. It, it, it just, it's heavy on my shoulders. And, and, and this weight, do you know what it does? It, it throws us off balance. It causes us to be people who are completely off balance. Maybe, maybe as a parent, you feel it. And this guilt from your past, this weight from your past, it weighs on you. And it causes you to be a parent that's just over the top. And you're on your kids about everything. Or maybe it weighs on you, the other side. And you're just kind of this lackadaisical parent. You just want to give your kids everything because you know what happened to you. Or maybe it affects your, your relationship with your husband or your wife. You were once a forgiving spouse, and now you're not a forgiving spouse. You remember every wrong. You have, you have a little notebook, and every wrong's written, and you remember everything, and you hold them accountable to everything, and you nail them on everything. And it causes us to live off balance. See, the, the, the thing is, it, it kind of comes with us. It, it, it just, this weight just weighs heavy on us, and it comes from our childhood into our adulthood, and it changes who we are. We used to be able to forgive, and now we hold a record. We used to be loving people, and now we just seem like judgy people. You see, we, we got to get rid of it. We, we got to get rid of it. And, and when we do get rid of it, do you know what we say? We have terminology for this too. I feel so much better. I feel so much better. It's like a weight has been lifted off of me. It, it's like that pressure that was on my shoulders. We say things like, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. You know, what you're feeling is, is the guilt. And when it comes off, oh, I feel so much better. You see, the guilt... It travels with you. It travels everywhere. Maybe you picked it up when you were a child and you brought it into your adulthood. Maybe you picked it up at work and then you brought it from work to home. Maybe you picked it up on a business trip and then it traveled with you from that city to your home city. You see, it, it travels with you. And it brings, we bring it from one stage of life into the next stage of life. That hurt, that pain, that guilt. 
And if we're not careful, if we don't deal with this guilt, do you know what happens? Guilt evolves. Guilt evolves into something really sinister. Guilt becomes anger. We get angry, don't we? We're angry with ourselves because we failed our own standards. We're angry with ourselves because we've never been able to move on. We're angry with ourselves because it happened to us. We allowed it to happen to us. We're angry with ourselves because nobody stood up for us, so no one cared for us that way. Why do I have to care for myself? We've fallen short of our own standard. That's kind of how we feel. I'm so angry. Now, because I'm angry at me, I'm going to be angry at you. Because the truth is, if I can't live up to my own standards, how is anybody else going to live up to my standard? So not only am I angry at me, I'm angry at you, and I'm angry at you, and I'm angry at you, and I'm angry at my kids, and I'm angry at my boss, I'm angry at my wife, at my husband. And what's really interesting is that guilty people, people who feel this way, they never kind of, they never bridge this gap. They never bring these two things together. And this last thing I'll say about guilt, and then we'll talk about something Jesus said that is really powerful and really important, and it's the key to to today's message. But guilty people, they never bridge that gap. They never kind of understand. I'm angry because I'm guilty. They never, they never kind of, like kind of put their finger on their fury. And so they get angrier and they get angrier and they get angrier. It's all because they're guilty. It's all because somewhere along the line there was a failure, right? There was your failures. There are my failures. There are failures. Our failures, they kind of disappear into the recess of our heart. But everybody else's failures, they remain so plain to see. I'm angry. Have you ever thought about it? No, it's not me. It's definitely got to be you. All my faults, they're buried. I've, I've stuffed them down with my guilt. But your faults, I can see everyone. See, so here's what we have to do. We have to face it. We have to lean in. And we have to almost embrace it. And the reason we don't, and I, I, I get this too, the reason we don't kind of lean in and face our guilt is because it leaves us feeling like there's no recourse. It leaves us feeling like there's no hope. It leaves us feeling condemned. And no one wants to feel that way. No one likes feeling that way. Nobody wants to be condemned. See, but, but here's where the good news comes in. Jesus had an answer for that. J- Jesus had a response for that. And the reason I spent the first 10 minutes of this message completely depressing you and bringing back all of these things you wished you'd never thought about again, but Jim brought them up in church, and now they're in my mind, and I'm feeling depressed, and I'm feeling guilty, and I'm feeling weighty, is that you can understand where we're about to go. Because there is good news for you. See, the truth is, you can't undo what you've already done. right? You can't unleave. You can't unsay. You can't like undrink too much. You can't like be unfaithful again. You did it, but there's hope. And the hope comes in the words written by a very famous man. You probably have heard about him before. We talk about him here all the time. They come from somebody who's experienced something that is is so heavy and so weighty and so full of guilt. The Apostle Paul. But I'm going to read this passage of Scripture that he writes, this to the Christians living in Nero's Rome. But here's what I, I want, just for a minute. And when I read this, if, if you're from church, if you're familiar with church, you might hear me just reading the Bible. I don't want you to hear those words right now. If you're not, if you're not a churchgoer and maybe you have like no use for the Bible and no use for, for faith, somebody brought you here because they bribed you with lunch afterwards or you're going to meet a pretty girl afterwards, whatever it might be. <clears throat> maybe you just stumbled upon us online. If, if that's you, I don't want to hear you, you to hear me reading the Bible here. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the words of a man who was guiltier than any person in this room. 
who, who, who carried so much weight and so much baggage and, and so much hurt, more than any person in this room. He, he carried this, this intensity upon them. When the Apostle Paul comes on the pages of history, he doesn't come on as the Apostle Paul, this amazing missionary who changed the world. He comes on as a man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul traveled around, and Saul did unspeakable things. He, he arrested innocent people, and he imprisoned innocent people. And in some cases, he even executed innocent men and women, all in the name of God. And then he meets Jesus, and he becomes a missionary. And he begins to travel around in the same circles with the same group of people whose mom and dad he had falsely imprisoned, wrongly accused, wrongly executed. He comes in, in, in contact with the children of, of those parents that he's executed. He comes in contact with the parents of those children who he's wrongly executed. I mean, the guilt and the shame that's upon him. He's now traveling in, in circles with this group of people. And he's got to come face to face with the people that he's wronged, whose lives he's destroyed. I mean, I, I can't even imagine the horror that's upon him when he runs into somebody. It's like, oh, you're their mom. Hearing the screams and the cries, knowing the guilt and the shame that's on him. Paul would say, there's still hope. With all that guilt and with all that shame, what's, what's amazing is, is we know Paul's story because Paul tells us his story. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't rewrite it. He doesn't sand off the rough edges. He very plainly says, here's what I've done. I'm guilty. Then he says this in Romans, and this is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. I absolutely love this. He says this in Romans 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. None. You've done something wrong. You're guilty of it. You, 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 you know that you've done it. But there is no condemnation. You would say, Paul, how is that possible? But like, where does that happen? He said, there's a place there is a place where there is no condemnation, where you can face the guilt, where you can face the things you've done, where you can even say, yes, I'm guilty of it, but there's no condemnation. Paul, where's that place? He tells us. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for, for those who have followed after Christ, for those who have embraced the things that Jesus came, this, this new relationship. We talk about this all the time. This new covenant relationship, right? With, with a new way of living and a new way of thinking and a new way to connect with God your Father. He said, for those of you who follow Jesus into that, for those of you who submit yourself to, to him, who, who follow after him and believe in him, who have submitted themselves to, to like the lordship or the bossship of Christ, he said, in him, there's no condemnation. Here's the amazing thing. We're still guilty, but we're not condemned. How? How is that possible? Paul says, because. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit that gives us life, and we talked about that a few weeks ago with the Holy Spirit, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. The law that basically would say this, all of your good doings, all of your good behavior, all of your behavior modification, all of the rules you set in place for you to be a respectable, kind of a, a, a worthwhile person, all of those rules can't make you right. 
All of those rules lead to sin and death. Uh, the law can't make you right. The law can't justify you. The law was given to show you that you would continue to mess up, that you would continue to fail. The law isn't there to kind of resource. I mean, think about all, all of the laws we've made, all of the rules we made for ourselves, municipality, municipal laws, federal laws, state laws, but whatever law you want to think of, every law was given to kind of set the lowest standard, wasn't it? Right? When you fall below the lowest standard, there's some kind of correction or, or punishment or judgment given. That's all it does. It's there to show you, guess what? You're guilty. You're guilty. And you've got to live the rest of your life with that. Good luck. Have fun. You're guilty. You're all wrong. And the truth is, in some degree, we're all kind of guilty of something. Paul says that law, was, it always leads to sin and death. That law was utterly powerless to do anything. It couldn't change you. It couldn't make you better. It couldn't restore you. It's utterly powerless. All that law does is show you how guilty you are. It shows you, well, there's no hope. You see, what the law was powerless to do, and here's the good news. Here's the thing you can't miss. For what the laws we've created, for, for all of the behavior modification we've tried to implement on ourselves to be good people, for what the law was powerless to do, God did. God did it, and he did it for you, and he did it for you, and he did it for you watching at home, and he did it for you sitting here, and he did it for you. He thinks, God doesn't even know my name. He would hate me with all the stuff I've done. No, he did it for you. God did what no law could do. God did what no person could do. For what the law was utterly powerless to do, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That, this is why it's so important. This is what you can't miss. This is God came down and dwelled in the form of flesh. And God sent Jesus into the world, not just to, to, to show us how to live a good life, although he did that, not just to show us how to connect to our Heavenly Father in a, in a different way, although he did that, not just to show us this, this new way of living, this new way of thinking, this, this new kind of worldview, although he did all that. God sent Jesus to the world to take your guilt and your shame and your sin. God sent Jesus into the world to take upon him the punishment that was meant for you. We said, but, you know, how does that work? When Jesus died on the cross, what, what, what was on him? Like, what did he take with him? And the Sunday school answer, the church answer, well, he took our sins. Yeah, that's true. But he didn't just take your sins. He also took all of the condemnation for all the sins you'd ever commit. All condemnation. He took divine condemnation. He took your self-condemnation. You know, I feel really bad and I'm making myself feel guilty because I know I did something bad. He took all condemnation for all sin on his shoulders when he died. And here's the kicker. So that you wouldn't be condemned. You didn't deserve it. You did nothing to change it. There's nothing you could do to change it. So God did. God sent his son to take your sin and your condemnation and your guilt so that you wouldn't have to. And God says, this is all I want need you to do. Just, just bring your guilt to me. When you've done something wrong, and we've all done something wrong, bring it to me with eyes wide open. Don't make excuses. Don't make up a narrative. Don't tell a false story. Bring it to me. And together we'll agree. You are guilty. You are. You did it. You've done something wrong. You, you've lied your way here. You've broken her heart. You, 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 were, you were loose with, with your body when you shouldn't have been. You, you, you treated them like, like you shouldn't have treated them. 
You weren't honest. You're guilty. Own it. But here's the thing. You're not condemned. When God sees you, when I see you, he says, I don't see that anymore. It's been removed. Your guilt, your condemnation, your sin, it's gone. I don't know about you, but for some of you, that's got to be the best thing you've heard today. All of the things we've done that we wish we never did, all of those things that creep up on the inside that we wish weren't there, God says, I know them all. (laughs) And you're guilty, but you are not condemned. I no longer hold that against you because my son did for you what you couldn't do for you. And Paul finishes off, he says it this way. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. And that's a really fancy way of saying he condemned his own son who bore your sin so that you could be right. And through that, God restored us to this guiltless relationship with him where he could love us and we could love him, where we could listen and we could respond, where we could act as if it never, ever happened because your guilt and your shame are gone. See, the truth is you are guilty, but you are not condemned. Guilt is not the boss of you anymore. The thing that you've been carrying around for years and you've been kind of making yourself feel guilty about, this self-condemnation, it's gone. God says, it's not there. I've removed it from you. This thing you've been carrying around and you've been just stuffing stuff on top of it. And every time it comes up, it makes you feel so uncomfortable. You just find something else. You change the narrative. You, You keep stuffing. God said, no, no, bring it to me. You're guilty. But guys, you're not condemned because Jesus took your condemnation. He took it away and he changed you forever. Now this is a lot of of big words Paul uses here. This is some of the most deep theological stuff you'll probably read. And I just kind of glossed over it. So I'd encourage you, read it again, Romans 8. But but here's the thing. There's there's four big implications I want us to look at today before we go on our way. Four kind of applications of how this plays out in our our life with with guilt and how we respond to it. The first one is this. When you realize, when you step into this new relationship, when you not just become a follower of Jesus, but you kind of submit to his lordship and and realize he's taken my sin, he's taken my guilt, and now I can live in that freedom under him where although I'm guilty, I'm no longer condemned. I'm still in a right relationship with God. When you live that way, here's what you need to know. You forfeit the right to condemn yourself because you are not yours to condemn. You forfeit the right. You can no longer condemn yourself because yourself is no longer condemned. The person who could condemn you, the God, the Father, who's kind of sees over everything, he's not condemning you anymore. So stop holding yourself accountable. Stop, stop judging yourself. Stop condemning yourself and, and make yourself feel this pity and this guilt and this shame that carries around for years and years. It may have happened as your childhood, but now you're an adult and you're still dealing with it. And, and the repercussions are going to carry way into your future if you don't realize. When you follow Jesus, you've given up the right to condemn yourself. God's taken it away from you. He says, yes, you're guilty, but you are no longer condemned. Stop holding yourself accountable to that. Number two, your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. And this is so big, and this, is, this was hard for me to, to get my mind around and kind of behave this way. 
But every time you do something that's wrong and, and, and it kind of creeps up into your life and it, it rears its ugly head and, you know, our tendency is, is to kind of shove it down and, and, and stack stuff on, on top of it. Every time that comes around, here's what you need to remember. The, the guilt is there not to, to, to remind you of how bad you are. The guilt is there, or it should be there rather, to remind you of how good God is. And every time that guilty feeling comes up, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe, you, you know, you allowed that to happen to you. It doesn't creep its head up to make you feel bad. It creeps your head up so that you would remember how good God is and how much God loves you. That even though you were guilty, he sent his son to carry your burdens away, to carry your guilt away. Every time you begin to feel that guilt, you should just remind yourself, maybe even remind yourself at lot, God, thank you so much for being so good and loving me. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, I'm guilty, but I am not condemned. I am set free from all condemnation. It is gone. Guilt isn't there to remind you of how bad you are. You're no longer defined by it. It's there to remind you about how good God is. And every time it comes up, just remind yourself, God is so good. God loves me so much. Number three, you forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. And you're not a hypocrite. We don't like hypocrites, do we? None of us in any area of life. And if God's given you that forgiveness, if God's given you that grace, if God has removed all condemnation, who are we to hold other people accountable and judge them and hold them condemned? I mean, after all, freely you give, or freely you receive, freely you give. That thought changed the world. God has given me so much grace and so much love and so much mercy and so much forgiveness. How could I not give that to you too? You've given up that right. You can't size people up. You can't judge them. You can't kick them to the curb. Because the truth is, we would all be there. Because we are all guilty of something. But we are not condemned. Finally, last thought, you are free to make restitution without expectations and without excuses. You are free to make restitution. You are in a place now to love people the way that God has loved you more than you ever have before. When you step into this, when you receive that freedom, when, you, when you, the guilt and the condemnation are removed from you, you step into a place where you can love people the way that Jesus loved you, with no baggage, with none of this extra stuff added on. Maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. Maybe there's, there's somebody in your life who, who you wronged. Maybe it was years and years ago when you were a child or a teenager or in college, in your early 20s, whatever it might be. But they've been hanging on to that baggage. It has affected their life. You are in a position now to go back and, and make restitution, to, to, to fix that situation. And, and not in, in some cheap way. Let, let, let me say this. Christianity is not this. Christianity isn't, you know, I, done, I've, I did something wrong against you, and I've asked God to forgive me, so we're all good. That's not Christianity. That's something completely different. Christianity is this. I've done something wrong against you, and I feel guilty, so I've asked God to forgive me. And because God showed that thing to me freely, I'm going to come back to you and offer it to you freely. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Can I make restitution? Can I fix what was broken? Can I fix what was wrong? Maybe somebody's been holding on to that thing for, their, for, for years and years. There was something that was broken, that something that, that kind of wedged their way into your relationship. And there was guilt and there was shame. And they're waiting on you to fix it. But, you know, we've got pride so long ago, they don't remember. Maybe they, they deserved it. Maybe they had a part to play in it. Let me ask this question. It's, it's a question I know none of us want to hear, but it's a question that I think all of us need to hear. Is somebody, is, is somebody waiting for you to make the first move? Is somebody you wronged 
waiting for you to make the first move. Better yet, let's, let's up the ante like Jesus did. Is somebody that's wrong to you waiting for you to make the first move? Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't wrong us. We wronged him. And we did nothing to fix it. So he came and he fixed it. Is someone waiting for you to make the first move? Is it an old relationship, an old boss, an old friend, a child, a parent? Somebody waiting for you to make the first move. Don't carry that guilt around any longer. Don't carry that shame around. Don't live in that condemnation. Every time you live in that condemnation, do you know what you're saying? Guilt, you're the boss of me. Shame, you're the boss of me. I, I can't go and have that conversation. I would be so embarrassed. Hey, embarrassment, you're not the boss of me. I, I'm wrong. I'm guilty. I've done something wrong. But I am not condemned. See, here's the thing, and this is the reason we don't do this, right? We fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. I don't know if you take notes, but you should write that down. You should take a picture of that, and you should remind yourself of that. This is the problem. This is the problem with our children. They fear the consequences of being honest more than they fear the consequences of, oh, I can hide it. They'll never know. And it's the same way with us as adults. When we do that, fear, you're the boss of me. Pride, you're the boss of me. Guilt, embarrassment, shame, you're, you're the boss of me. You're going to run my life. My past is going to come with me to the present, and it's going to dictate my future, and it's probably going to dictate my kids' future because I'm not happy with myself, and I'm angry, so I'm going to be unhappy with them and angry with them, and I'm going to just continue the cycle of guilt and shame and guilt and shame and guilt and shame. Don't allow it to be the boss of you. As a matter of fact, I want us to say this. Ready? I'll say it first, then you can say it with me. My past will remind me, but it will not define me. I want you to say that with me. Everybody together, even if you're sitting at home, if you're watching this later, you're kind of driving in your car, I want you to say it with me. Everybody, you ready? My past will remind me, it will not define me. Now I want you to say it like people who've been forgiven and people who've been restored, and people who have no guilt or condemnation. P people who can look at this and say, yeah, I did something wrong, but I'm free from it. There's no condemnation. There should be life, and there should be love, and there should be passion. You ready? On the count of three, let's say it like we mean it. One more time. One, two, three. And with me, guilt, you are not the boss of me. Shame, you're not the boss of me embarrassment. You're not the boss of me. I have a new boss. And my boss says, yes, you're guilty, but you are not condemned. I've set you free. I've done what nothing and nobody else could do. Don't carry it with you. Don't live in it. Don't linger in it. Don't bring your past with you into the present. Face it. Embrace it. Realize it's there, but it's not going to define you. And you're going to put an end to it. I'm going to step out of this guilt into a new life, into this new thing that Jesus promised me, into this new relationship into life in the full. Because after all, when you follow Jesus, and we say this all the time, Jesus makes your life better and he makes you better at life. Follow Jesus out of your guilt and out of your shame and out of your condemnation into this new thing, into this new life that only he can provide for you. Yes, we're guilty. But church, Christians, Paul would say this, but you are not condemned. Live in that. And that'll change your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. God, for the, this, this incredible words of Paul. 
God, for somebody who had so much baggage and so much sin and so much weight and so much guilt and so much condemnation, to be able to say there is no condemnation in Jesus. God, he truly experienced what it was to not just follow after Jesus, God, but to live in the freedom and in the grace and in the mercy that he provided. God, I pray for those of us here who have struggled with guilt, God, who maybe have brought something that happened to us from childhood into our present, God, and it's, it's affecting our future. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to face it, to embrace it. God, and to even receive the, the, the freedom that you offered to move past it. God, give us the wisdom to know what it is and the courage to move past it. For those of us, God, who, who may be feeling from that question that there is somebody I need to go back and talk to, there's somebody who's waiting for me, God, give them the courage to take that step, to have that conversation. God, to own it, but also own that there is no condemnation in God for it. God, I pray for every person here, God, because to some degree we all struggle with guilt. We all struggle with knowing we've done something wrong. We've fallen short. We've made mistakes. God, I pray you would help us to be responsible and to own the mistakes we've made. But God, to also own the no condemnation, the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. I pray, God, it would feel like a weight is being lifted off, that the guilt and the condemnation that were there, God, are there no longer, and that we are free in Jesus' name. I thank you for all of this, and I give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Journey, if you would, stand with us. We're going to sing some